Welcome back to another episode of the Weekly Driver Podcast. My name is James Rea. I'm an automotive columnist for Bay Area News Group, and I edit and publish the website, theweeklydriver.com. Bruce Aldrich is my co-host now, and we're 170-something episodes into our podcast, and we're in our Bruce's backyard today, uh, the morning after a, just maybe the nastiest storm we've seen in a long time, so we're, we're safe and sound for this morning. Our, our guest is Brian Raybold, and Brian is a, uh, well, he's an expert in a lot of areas, but his official title is um, Vice President Evaluation Service for Haggerty, and uh, we love Haggerty. We're going to lay it on a little thick. I am, at least. It's the best magazine and the best services out there. I can't wait to read every issue of the magazine. They just did it right. And uh, Brian, uh, today we're going to talk about 2021 in the world of auctions, um, which I'm sure you have a lot of expertise on. So welcome back. You've been on our podcast a second time now. So welcome. Thank you, James. Thank you, thank you, Bruce, for having me. Sure. I'm, I'm looking at these highlights that one of your colleagues forwarded, and it just seemed uh, impressive right from the get-go. January auctions for 2021 grossed $181.9 million, and it says a strong performance considering one of the biggest sales, Barrett-Jackson, has been postponed until March. So with that as the launching point, give us an overview of um, where the auction world is in, in early in 2021 and how it um, relates to COVID and live auctions, online-only auctions. Mm-hmm. Give us some expertise there. Yeah, um, for us at Haggerty and for a lot of collector car market watchers, uh, January is a huge month, and historically it always has been. We mentioned uh, Barrett-Jackson as, a, as kind of one of the anchor events that happens every January in Scottsdale. And over the years, there have been close to a dozen auctions that have sprung up around it. Um, and so a lot of people kind of look at what's going on at those auctions and kind of read the tea leaves and figure out where the market is headed. Um, and then kind of on the other side of the country, Mecham, which is just a massive auction company in its own right, has set up a, a very large sale in Florida, in Kissimmee, Florida. And at the Mecham event, typically it's about 2,000 to 3,000 cars that they'll offer. Uh, this year, obviously, very, very different. Um, not every auction company held a sale this year in uh, in January. So we used to call these the, the Arizona auctions. We call them the January auctions now to give Beacon their proper due. Um, but, you know, uh, Barrett-Jackson postponed to March um, in light of just its uh, circumstances in Arizona. Some of the auction companies that persisted in Arizona did a much smaller footprint. Um, and then Mecham was able to execute their event in Florida um, at just about the same scale. And what really shined through is that when you take like an apples to apples comparison, so meaning looking at sales that happened this year that also happened last year, you back out Barrett-Jackson and some of the auction companies that didn't uh, go forward this uh, this January. And the sales numbers were actually higher by 8%, which is really surprising for a lot of people because um, it's just a lot more difficult to buy a car today, just given the the restrictions. A lot of people not traveling, they're having to rely on uh, bidding online, that sort of thing. Maybe they aren't able to get uh, a full report on the condition of the cars. And so that uh, was really encouraging for a lot of people, um, you know, who, who make their living in buying and selling collector cars and who have a, a vested interest in the values. So that was the first thing that kind of came out of it. Sure. Um, a lot fewer cars were offered, um, but they ultimately sold for more money. So uh, that's that. Well, uh, one of the other things that we looked at. Oh yeah, go ahead. Oh, Brian, I was just going to say there's uh, fewer. Number number one, there's fewer auctions. There's fewer cars mm-hmm. apparently, 
But are there more bidders or is it about the same number of bidders? Because now you have online, so more people can actually be there, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, it's, it's about the same number of buyers, and I think what's going on is buyers just have a lot more options for where they're going to uh, purchase a car. Um, and, you know, obviously buying online is not a new thing uh, for cars. Uh, eBay Motors, I think, was founded in 2002 um, and sort of was the first foray and Bring a Trailer, a site that we all know and love. Uh, has been around for somewhere around 10 years. Um, so people are accustomed to doing it. Um, and I think that actually helps a lot of these in-person auctions as well because it's it's more established, it's more welcome. Uh, people understand how to navigate buying digitally. Um, in 2020, uh, one of the surprising things that Haggerty discovered is that more collector cars sold in 2020, both publicly and privately, than did in 2019, which is surprising given that it was a lot harder, like I mentioned, just logistically to find a car, buy a car, inspect the car, take possession of it. Um, but people found a way, and that's because the digital means are a lot easier and they're more accepted. Um, and people really figured that out um, uh, this past year. And I think that really helps because people are more comfortable buying, whether that's you know at an online-only auction or at an in-person auction that has an online component. Uh, or one of the auction companies even had a live stream of their event where you could watch online and you could, you know, call in. So um, people are getting creative and figuring out how to pull off these, these blended events. I don't know how you guys did it, but I, I'm looking at all these statistics and I'll, it's on my computer screen and I'll, I'll turn it over to Bruce and so he can see some of them. But you broke it down by auction houses. You broke it down by, uh, you know, in, uh, self-through rates. You broke it on average sale price. You cumulative but at the top of the list is the the top ten sales uh, from all of the uh, auction how Bonhams, Good, Gooding and Company, uh, R and B Sotheby's worldwide, uh, Meekums uh, in in uh, Kissimmee, Florida, and uh, the cumulative total as I, th- I mentioned earlier. And then going down some of the the top ten, I'll just rattle them off, and then we can look at a couple of them. There are a few of them. Uh, 1955 Jaguar D type Roadster, six million dollars, and then there's a few: the Shelby Cobra, the Bugatti Type 57 SC, McLaren Speedtail, Ferrari 375 America. Do you say it, Vig- Vignali? Um, yeah, Vignali. Uh, that's Vignali. Uh, Builder, really pretty car. Yeah, and 66 Ferrari 275 GTB, long nose, 59 Mercedes. Uh, excuse me, 59 BMW 507 Roadster. 56 Mercedes-Benz 300 SL, Goldwing, everybody knows that's such a great car. 67 Shelby Cobra 427, and 56 uh, Ferrari uh, 250 GT. Um, Going through those lists, I just rattled them off, but do you see any trends in that top 10 list of things that are surprising, or are these standard standard, uh, top 10s through the recent years? Um. They are pretty typical. I think uh, what it shows right now is that there is uh, interest in established collector cars, kind of blue chip quality cars. That Jaguar D-Type Roadster, yes, um, at six million, it was a really interesting car, interesting color combination. It was red originally, and still has that today, which is not a color you often see. Um, that had previously been offered and uh, at an auction, it received a higher bid. Um, kind of the uh, current market conditions, the seller took the uh, $6 million bid and was, was happy with that. I guess. Um, the second one, <laughs> uh, the second one on the list, um, the Shelby Cobra 427, 
That was really interesting. Sold for $5.94 million. Uh, Meekum offered that one up. Uh, this was Carol Shelby's personal 427 Cobra. Oh, my gosh. Um, so, you know, you know the... Now, the man who made the car, and the car has his name on the hood. That was what was offered. This was up for sale a couple years ago and was purchased for one point three seven five in oh, 2016. That's appreciation. So, that's five, ROI. Is my gosh <laughs> through the roof. Five years later, and, and four million dollars. That's pretty good. So that was a surprising one for me, just because we had seen that car sell, but um, it had been updated a little bit and uh, now had a manual transmission, I believe, instead of automatic, which makes it a much more uh, rewarding drive. And, um, you know, that that Shelby magic strikes again. So that sure. was really exciting. Um, but, yeah, the uh, the cars on this list, uh, the McLaren Speedtail is kind of the, the newcomer, but we, we sometimes see one of these newer exotics or uh, hyper cars uh, crack the top 10 list. So. Um, not too surprising, but it's pretty much a consistent list for um, cars that you might expect to find on it. Interesting story on that two, um, that what, what, 65 uh, Carroll Shelby car. My wife and I went down to Las Vegas to drive the Richard Petty School of uh, Racing, the NASCARs on the oh, track fun. down there. And we stopped into the Carroll Shelby Museum, which is right there in the compound near the racetrack. And the main featured car, the the Shelby's uh, car, wasn't there. It was missing. You know, I asked where it was from the curators. Nobody really said anything, and we knew he was in town. Anyway, later after the show, seeing the museum, we drove around, and I go, "Wow, there's a there's a Shelby Cobra up ahead." And <laughs> I get uh, speed up, and dang, there's Carol Shelby driving that That's that uh, Shelby. So we saw him driving that car. It's amazing. That's, that was great. I, Bruce, I've known you for a long That's time. Cool. I don't think I've ever heard that story I, I before. I wish I had the 5.9 to buy that thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> even, That's even, a thrill to see him behind the wheel of that. Yeah. Even, oh, even my wife, who's not a car person at all, when she's seen Cobras, um, she says, oh, well, that's a nice car. <laughs> out, of, out of the mouths of the non-car person, even they appreciate them. When, when you see them, there's, there's a couple in town that I've seen, not Carol Shelby's, but but a couple of other Cobras and uh, replicas. Replicas, they're fantastic. Yeah, um, they are. They uh, they stand out. They're they're just about impossible to miss. Uh, if you don't see it, you'll definitely hear them before uh, they get into view. Yeah. Now I'm going to jump down into the Meekum auction, and there's one car that I think I may have heard of, but I'm not sure if I know much about it. And I'm sure you do, uh, Brian. Is the Iso Griffo? Could you tell us a little bit about that car? One point one eight million dollars. Uh, and what's that car all about? It's an ESO Grifo, uh-huh. um, and it's actually an ESO Grifo A3C uh-huh. Bizzarini. Bizzarini. Um, and so, th- yeah, so the Bizzarini is basically it's a race car for the street. Um, oh, uh-huh. which which is pretty uh, which is pretty cool. They're very low slung, um, very uh, high performance cars, um, and then later the ESO Grifo name was was carried on and it was uh, basically a hybrid uh italian coachwork american powertrain and they're also quite valuable this one is a very rare uh early kind of bizzarini version um 20 of them or so were built oh my um, gosh that's and, pretty rare uh, yeah yeah R- really cool cars you hardly ever see them they're great um uh they always attract a crowd um and uh you know definitely made for the show field right now um so really fun to see that one uh, sell. Yeah. 
Two spots below that, I'll follow up, and then I'll let Bruce has, I'm sure, a few questions as well. There's the uh, Plymouth Cuda convertible, almost well nine uh, $962,000. I don't know if that's a good price. It's kind of surprising to me, but that's a 1971, and uh, maybe that's a pretty rare one too, but that's a lot of money for it's that a Cuda car. convertible. Yeah. I'm sure it had to, one of the few Hemis in yeah, it probably. Well, the Cuda is king in the muscle car world, really. Sure. Um, it's, a, it's the one to have, very rare, and has a great name. And, um, you know, that was a wonderful example of that car. So, um, you know, shows that there is interest in the muscle car market, strong interest. That is one of the segments that we didn't see a lot of activity in, um, in the market in 2020. And a lot of the, the reason for that is uh, the auction companies that tend to sell those the most and the, um, uh, weren't conducting sales so much. And the online platforms tend to cater towards more affordable cars and more modern cars. Yes. So the muscle cars kind of weren't showing up on a lot of the sites that, uh, you know, a lot of the channels that we were monitoring. So we were actually pretty excited to see uh, Mecham conduct the sale and be able to watch um, the prices come through, and uh, they did not disappoint. So that was encouraging. If you own a muscle car, um, that's, uh, that's a good sign for you. Brian, I was curious. Uh, maybe you could go into how Haggerty, their evaluation tools, how they – draw their numbers how do they figure out what mm -hmm. prices are obviously i guess you look at you can look at auction houses for unique and expensive high-end vehicles but what about everyday um, type of cars 25 year old cars mm -hmm. and then you also guys you go into what do you think will go up you'll you'll have a like the latest magazine i think you picked about 10 cars and what cars that were yeah, we good to go up yeah so um you know, we we basically gather as much data as we can from everywhere we can get it. So public auctions, uh, we have partnerships with various classified sites. We track auctions that are happening exclusively online. We talk to our, our insurance clients, and when they remove a car from their policy, we ask them what they sold the car for, so we're able to track the private market a little bit. Um, you know, we can look at listing prices, and then we can see if that car uh, that specific car by VIN shows up in any of our insurance data. So we can kind of see what somebody was asking for uh, an asking price and then what they're coming back and insuring it for. So we can, we can gauge, um, you know, a relative purchase price from that. So there are a lot of ways that we look at this data. And when we are looking at it, a lot of people assume that we have some sort of calculation that happens where we can just press a button and update the values. And if only that were so, there's a lot of work that goes into this to understand, you know, when this car sells at auction, what is its history? What is its condition? Is it an outlier? Is it a representative of the market? Um, you know, we're going in so far as to figure out what, you know, if color makes a difference or if, uh, you know, it had a unique transmission that might have impacted the value. So there's a lot of gathering as much data as we can, applying some statistical analysis to it, and then using a lot of judgment about, what that specific sale or that collection of sales means for uh, the market. I was just going to say it's pretty neat because, yeah, you, you uh, provide it for free, too, um, for, I mean, for customers. Yeah, well, it ended up being the one of the most popular questions people were asking us was, what's my car worth when they were coming to uh, insure with us? Um, and so we had to get really skilled at being able to answer that question and have that um, had that information available. So we do make it available to people uh, online. 
I have a collector car insured through you, and I almost always forget that I even have insurance through you because it's all about the, the great magazine and the you know the evaluation tools. Yeah, we do. Uh, we do a lot of different stuff outside of insurance. We hold events, um, the Greenwich Concours, the California Melee. Um, we have a tremendous presence on YouTube. I encourage you to go look at the videos we have there, but just some of the best automotive content coming out right now, both in print and uh, video. So our philosophy is to support everybody who loves cars, to help them enjoy it, uh, to help them get behind the wheel um, and, and get more out of, out of what they own. And so my little part of it is to help people understand what to pay for the cars they love and, and give them some resources about how to go about sure. doing that. Yeah. I think uh, to, to uh, kind of go on to what Bruce said, complimentary-wise, uh, you guys introduced a car magazine in a world in which there were a lot of car magazines and also a world in which you know magazines and newspapers are folding left and right, and uh, you guys managed to hit a sweet spot somehow. I don't know what, what your numbers are or if you ever released them, but... Um, it, for my eyes, and, and there's nothing close to it, and I think that with some of the guest columnists you have, with whether it's Jay Leno or uh, Wayne... Um, Carini. Carini, thank mm -hmm. you. And, and others, and the features you choose, it's... As a guy who doesn't know a lot about cars, I read it because it's, it's as much about the people who have the cars as it is the cars, which to me is, is great. Um, so, um, you know, hats off to you guys for... I wish you, I wish you would publish it more often. <laughs> <laughs> Come out with a week. I would too. I'm, I'm proud to work with that team. Um, they do great work. And uh, James, you're right. The the stories aren't necessarily about the cars. Uh, so much about what's attractive about cars is the people you meet because of them, um, and finding like-minded people who have the same interests, and then just connecting with them. Sure. Um, and that's that's you know never never far from the focus of those stories is the people behind the cars or that that own them. I was going to say also in a, in a selfish way, and I know Bruce, I think I, I might have gone one more time than Bruce has, but we also get a kick um, out of going to the, the Haggerty function, uh, the little get-together party at the L.A. Auto Show. We've been to a few times, and that's led us to meeting some uh, friends we didn't know before, and, you know, it's always a nice gathering there. It's very low-key, uh, and you guys are always nice. There's a representative there, and I think a couple of times uh, people from Haggerty have driven um, one of your cars to and parked it outside. I think one year it was a Bronco, uh, as a matter of fact, a few years ago. So that's always a fun yeah, gathering. That's, yeah, that's one of the other things that Haggerty operates is a peer-to-peer -peer, uh, classic car rental program called yes. DriveShare. So, that's right. Uh, I believe that Bronco came from uh, that platform, and that's one of the fun things that we do. Um, I will have to work my way down to the LA Auto Show. I have not, I have not been invited to that one yet, but I know who to talk to to maybe get get an invitation one year. Well, the world has a lot of problems, of course, but we're hopeful that in, by May we'll be able to go to Los Angeles again. We'll see, but it's a it's a highlight of if you're into autos, it's a highlight for mm -hmm. for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons, and we sure enjoy going. Um, diverting for a second, I'm looking down, uh, Brian, at some more of these lists, and here's another car I, didn't, I wasn't familiar with. How, do you say Runge or Runge? 1950. It was in Bonham's 1950 RS010 Coupe, $240,000. So this is a, a one-off design. It's very racy. It's got this all-aluminum coachwork kind of gullwing doors. Yes. Um, so you know, forgive me for not knowing it because That's all right. this is the one. 
the one of one. Only one made. Okay. One of one. It's a it's a Picasso or a Michael. It's Michelangelo of the car world. Whatever. Um, yeah, um, uh, mid engine car and has shown up at places like the Quail uh, Concours and the Monterey Jet Center party. So it's been around the Monterey Peninsula. Yes. Um, looks super fast. Looks thrilling. Um, and yeah, uh, for a one-off creation, uh, 200 grand, I think that, uh, seems about right. And I would love to hope to be able to see that out on the road, um, at one of these events sometime in the future. Going through this list, there's, there's so many interesting cars. There's a 1936 Cord. Uh, that's, you know, that's a pretty rare car. And, and, uh, I don't know the, uh, how do you pronounce it, Brian? He helped me. Arnold Bristol. Bolide Roadster. Yeah. Woohoo! That's the year yeah, I was born. <laughs> Go ahead. The, the Arnold Bristol. Um, yeah, that's a that's a neat combination. Definitely a unique looking car. It's very low swung. Uh, looks very sporty from the 50s. Uh, these had kind of like an Anglo-American connection. Um, so um, very quick. Uh, the the gentleman who created it had had a great nickname his name was wacky arnold so um, that's a little bit of a little okay. bit of trivia for you quite a quite a character out of chicago area i believe if i remember correctly i guess so that sounds like a, there's a, a backstory there that maybe we shouldn't cover but uh, that's okay his name was wacky um i saw on the list there were the bat cars the bats i forget what uh, manufacturer do you recall that one brian has a um, there s- swoopy were wing. some Alfa Romeo design cars that sold some bat cars that sold. Um, that was it, Alpha. Yeah, they uh, they sold at a Sotheby's auction in I want to say October, or maybe it was November. Um, but really interesting story there. So Alfa Romeo commissioned Bertoni, the um, uh, coach builder, to design a series of concept cars in the 1950s. And I won't butcher the Italian by explaining what BAT stands for, stands for but. Um, they're basically aerodynamic studies. These cars look absolutely outrageous. They look like a 50s interpretation of, you know, what the future might be, uh, very much in the tradition of concept cars. So curving fenders that look like wings, like bending over into wind tunnel type type uh, construction, really interesting uh, and set the tone, you know, for Alta's design. Um, and these cars sold uh, as a triptych. They were marketed as a single lot with three cars, uh, which is appropriate for an art auction. Uh, and they sold collectively for $14.8 million to become the, the highest selling lot uh, from auction last year in 2020. Wow. Um, really cool cars. Uh, I can't do them justice in, in words, so they, you really have to see them to appreciate them. But they're um, really interesting and, and, and cool. Well, the wings on a 60 Cadillac look are really pale in comparison to that BAT car. <laughs> The BATs are yeah. huge. I think Bat Batman would be happy with that car. I'm going, uh, <laughs> Brian. I'm going through a couple of more bullet points here. That uh, just going to read them. Uh, muscle cars, which have sold slowly throughout the pandemic, brought very high prices. That's nice to know. Um, One million dollar cars or higher sold uh, better this year than last year. Uh, Top tier modern sport supercars uh, sold poorly. Of the five offered for one million dollars or more, only two. The McLaren Speedtail, which we talked about briefly, and the McLaren Senna sold. So there's a lot of things going on. Um, and at the bottom of the bullet points, it just said, you know, for an in-depth car. This, the, the list that was mailed out is so uh, in-depth, I can't imagine what you have on the websites any more in-depth, but I'm sure it is. So people can visit uh, insider.haggerty.com. And there's so many statistics and numbers on the press release. 
Um, you could spend probably a whole day on the site going through uh, exactly what happened in January. Um, two, thick, two quick things come to mind for me. I think one of them we covered before. Um, do any, does anybody, I'm going to say this in the funny way, does anybody still get lucky at an auction? Do, do things um, <laughs> you know, fall out of the sky and some, oh my gosh, I can't believe I got this car that I've always wanted for this amount. Are there any surprises or, or can people still get a bargain? Yeah. There are always surprises and there are always bargains. So anytime you go to an auction, you you can see cars that sell for surprising amounts above and then surprising amounts below. Um, and then even outside of auctions, there are always opportunities. I think it's really kind of all about if you're bargain hunting, understanding what you want to use a car for, and then kind of remembering that these cars are supposed to be fun, right? They're not necessarily a thing that you buy to make money off of. So you can find a lot of cars that offer a lot of enjoyment that you can hang on to and you own for one or two years and you'll sell them not for a profit, but you won't sell them for a loss because they're not depreciating. And so I think when you look at it that way, there are, there are bargains all over the place because essentially what you're doing is you're paying to have it for a couple of years. You're not paying to purchase it and then never getting that money back, if that makes sense. Sure it does. You must enjoy the car. Yep. That's right. Well, Brian, um, we could speak for hours uh, with you, and maybe we'll do that some other time. But for, day, for today, we want to you know, thank uh, Brian Raybold, uh, Vice President of Valuation Service uh, for Haggerty. Uh, we love everything about Haggerty, so thanks again for what all you guys and women do at, at Haggerty. And um, we're going to I'll encourage you, if, if, if the L.A. auction is on, uh, auto show is on for May. Please come down and, and uh, go to your own party. Go to the Haggerty party. And, yeah, yeah, you got to go to your party. <laughs> and join us for an adult beverage and to talk more about cars. So thank you again for, yeah, for being great. our guest. Great to meet you in person. No problem. Thanks for having me. Okay, okay. take care, Brian. Bye-bye. Bye.